0: This episode of the Nurse Keith Show is brought to you by Soothing Sense. Want to find a safe, effective, and simple way to improve the patient experience? Soothing Sense drug-free adjunct interventions pair essential oils with an inhaler design to help patients feel at ease, managing nausea, anxiety, and discomfort at every stage of care. It smells great doesn't cause sedation and can be used autonomously as soon as patients experience discomfort and there's no need for IVs and MD orders. Visit soothing-sense.com forward slash medical to request a free sample kit today. What is a public utility model of American healthcare, care and what would it take to initiate such a system? Let's talk all about it with healthcare philosopher and system design expert, Dr. John Silver, right here on episode 339 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith, and this podcast is, of course, all about you, your personal professional development, your career, and the healthcare system at large, and I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, medicine, entrepreneurship, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a part of the Growingers Keith Nation. And here's a very, very special request that you may have heard before. If you find value in this podcast, I'm asking 100 regular listeners in 2021 to pledge $2 a month to support the Nurse Keith show over at patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith. Creating more than 350 episodes does incur a lot of costs for me and it's going to continue to and I would love for you to chip in and be part of the movement. So, if you can go to patreon.com forward slash nursekeith, pledge $2 a month for a year, that would be really, really awesome. It's less than buying me a cup of coffee every month. And you can always pledge more to get some awesome premiums in return. So, thanks for considering supporting the show. And you can also support the show by signing up for coaching with Nurse Keith over at Nurse Keith Coaching. If you need holistic career coaching, make sure you get in touch at Keith at keithatnursekeith.com. Let me know you heard the show. And if you mention John Silver, you can get 15% off your first coaching package rather than the usual 10 for listeners. The show notes for this episode will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 339. And we're here with friend of the pod for his second appearance, Dr. John Silver, coming in from Florida. And John, we'll talk about your bio and touch on, you know, the many things you've done throughout the years. But the first question I want to ask you is in brief, and then we'll go deeper what is a public utility model? What does that really
1: mean? Well, first, it's great to be back with the inimitable Nurse Keith. Ah, thank you. Um, well, the public utility model was the result of deductive reasoning, looking specifically at the goals. What I thought the goals of healthcare should be, and when I put all the designs that I could and find, you know, around the world on the table. Um, I started seeing whether they met these goals and actually there was nothing left. Uh, so I started thinking, well, you know, I've got to rethink how I think of healthcare. Um, and what the public utility model will do in, in essence is turn healthcare into a service that's provided to communities and it won't focus on, you know, 484 million individual interactions between providers and patients that require reimbursement. So service areas, state-based service areas would be funded um, based on the needed services of the communities they cover. So I think that's the essence of what, what I'm trying to talk about here.
0: Okay. And tell us some examples of public utilities that we enjoy now in 2021 and what some of their successes have been in terms of serving the public.
1: Sure. Well, I mean, actually, public utilities came over, um, first started back in the 1800s uh, with a guy named Samuel Insull. Um, and it was cities trying to, um, you know, establish safe and clean drinking water for themselves. Um, and then with the advent of electricity, uh, what we saw rise up in uh, electricity were a lot of the same problems we see in healthcare: uh, distribution of resources. Uh, multi-layered administrative systems driving up the costs, uh, pricing that was just made up on the spot, um, the choice of what communities got electricity and what cho- what communities didn't, the refusal to go into rural areas because they couldn't generate the profits. So FDR in the 30s um, kind of reinvented this model of what they call the natural monopoly. So that everybody would have access to what he considered uh, was no longer a commodity, but what was becoming a right, hmm. which was access to electrical service, and that's really the model I studied. Now we've seen over the last 30 years problems with the public utilities, but a lot of that has been because we've warped them. Um, in a lot of areas, we've tried to deregulate and offer you know incentives to groups that were be able to profit off of these things. Uh, We saw the Enron debacle in California. Mm -hmm. Uh, We saw Texas just collapse in the winter there because they kind of outed themselves from a public utility uh, uh, core essence of what a public utility is. Uh, So it requires commitment to maintain these things. Now there's a boatload of money that can be made in healthcare. So that's, you know, we, started off trying to talk about controlling costs we put drgs in we we have really kind of set up this system that we have now which is all basically all profit oriented uh, but again we still have those problems of distribution of resources access to people out of control costs and now we've got you know physicians that are really upset and retiring we've got nurses that have been you know, all of us were thrown under the bus last year, but uh, we've got nurses that have been unhappy for decades. Uh, physicians have lost control of a lot of what they do. Um, so it's really our fault, our manipulation of these utility models um, that has made them not work. Right. But if you, if you look in a lot of uh, particularly northern states, um, you can see very well that public utilities have been going on. Great, they've been going on for a hundred years. Um, the other advantage of public utilities is the money there gets put back into the community. Um, it's not taken out for corporate profits, or um, and you know there's there's so many other examples of why this public utility model kind of restores uh, the essence of what healthcare should be. Hmm. Wow,
0: the essence of what it should be. So, if we go back to the establishment of electricity and clean water um you know so we're looking at power heat light um sanitation keeping people healthy railway um,
1: systems public railways yeah yeah
0: yeah so there are some that that still are are active and successful like we don't have clean water in every single community in the united states but we do fairly well, right? Um there's Flint, Michigan and Detroit and places that are outliers where we've had a lot of problems. But those public utilities have shown that ability to provide a service and then the money circles cycles back into the community, right? Correct. So when it comes to healthcare, <laughs> you mentioned profit. You said there's what did you say? There's a boatload of money to be made in healthcare and I think everyone will agree that certain entities and or individuals or groups make boatloads of money. So if we were going to enact some sort of public utility model for healthcare, one of the first questions that comes up for me and maybe other people listening, maybe nurses who are like, hmm, how would this actually work? How would we dismantle what we have and create this new system? What would it take to actually do that? What What do you envision?
1: Legislatively?
0: In any way. Yeah. Would it, would it be completely legislative in in, um, in essence, the way to make this actually happen?
1: I, I think the first thing we have to realize is that this is going to take public demand and demand on the part of uh, medical professionals. And mm-hmm. the reason I say that is if you, if, you, if you just go back to 2019, just the top five political contributors, bribers, lobbyists, whatever you want to call them, gave over $100 million into the political system Mm -hmm. to control the political debate. Mm -hmm. So I don't think any of us nursing physicians, nursing and physicians, would be able to generate that kind of counterpunch financially. Right. So you have to ask yourself, why are they spending so much money politically? And it's because they're making a lot more money by keeping things the way they are.
0: So that $100 million is really buys them a
1: lot. Well, sure. It buys them a lot yeah. of access. Yeah. And also control over, over, you know, bills, for example, lately over the past like 30 years. I don't know if it's gone on before that. Uh, what we find that the legislations that are being brought up are actually written by these lobbyist companies. Mm-hmm. And we see that on multiple fronts at the state level and the federal level. Right.
0: And nurses and other healthcare professionals can periodically become up, get up in arms about what's going on, right? We have, um, strikes and picket lines and, and work stoppages and unions trying to organize and trying to negotiate for, let's say, safer staffing ratios and better pay and, you know, um, getting rid of mandatory overtime, all that stuff that makes nurses miserable and often drives them out of healthcare, right? Drives them out of nursing, drives them out of a career that maybe they've loved for a long time. And then all of a sudden they can't love it anymore because they can't find a place to work where they actually can do the work that they're meant to do and how they the way they're meant to do it. So for for nurses out there, for instance, and you and I are both nurses, What's the benefit to them if we lobby and actually are able to create a public utility model? What what would change for them on a day to day basis? Because if we're going to go out there and fight for something, we need to know what it is we and our patients are going to gain,
1: right? Sure. So I think there's a couple of huge benefits. For one thing, it puts nursing under nursing, and that has not been the case. Um, what what we have. Um, politically in hospitals uh, and in healthcare is kind of a um, tri-silo political structure. And the quickest story I can give you is uh, they tried to put TQM in 26 um, regional hospitals in Canada. And they went in and educated the, you know, the administrative people and everything. And they came back a year later and what they found out that only one hospital was able to initiate any type of TQM, and it was a mutant version at that. What is TQM for those of us who are uninitiated? Total quality management. Okay, I would
0: not have known that.
1: Yeah. It's kind of the precursor to Lean and then Lean Six Sigma and these administrative mm-hmm. processes. Okay. So what the conclusion of these researchers were was that the political environment of hospitals and these facilities are so dysfunctional that the only way you're going to get any kind of uh, result of quality focus is if you tear it down and you start all over again. Mm-hmm. So the essence of the problem is that we have these three silos and I, I've talked to systems theorists on this and they, they agree that uh, you have a, you know, administrative structure that's coming down, which is really, um, sees nursing as more like, you know, file clerks people they have to have in there, but, um, they're going to control them. Mm-hmm. Um, And so, you know, they set the salaries, they basically appoint our leadership. Um, We know, you know, it's not like the staff nurses vote on who their director of nursing is going to be. And then we have this whole kind of group of nurses who have been sucked into this vortex of the black suit uh, corporate world. And and it is very intoxicating. Mm -hmm. Oh, your big office and the nice furniture and the black suits and stuff. Then we have. Physicians who kind of see a lot of nurses as servants, and uh, as I've said many times, uh, medicine uh, writ large, not every physician, please, um, kind of suffers from two philosophical flaws. Uh, The first is hubris, uh, and that's kind of generally well-recognized. But the other is a self-protection of their own profession. And this has been written, A, into all of their Hippocratic Oaths. And then in my mind, what's going on is that medicine is still fighting a battle that's over a hundred years old. Mm-hmm. Nobody thinks that medicine is, is bad. You know, you're very well respected if you're a physician. They won that war, uh, but they're still fighting that battle and they've been fighting it for years on, uh, particularly in scope of practice. And then you have nursing, which is kind of, I don't want to say the butt of everybody's joke, but um, nursing is kind of just this portrayed even amongst ourselves as this kind of sainthood of people that, you know, like nuns, they don't, they don't care about money. They don't care about the environment. They'll put them into a crowd of 50 COVID patients. They'll fight that war for us. Mm-hmm. And so we've got these three systems going on in healthcare um, that are all in some sense uh, competitive, so that's not going to lead us or do very well. Uh, so in my model, um, I call for a uh, practitioner-led administration, and we just right. cut out the uh, you know the CEOs and um, you still need a, a you know like a COO that manages the facility and takes care of the air conditioning and oxygen and that kind of stuff. Uh, but you get rid of that whole superstructure of administration, um, right?
0: And what you wrote here was interdisciplinary practitioner-led administration so that the system is congruent with their values and maximizes their skill sets. Correct. Mm -hmm.
1: So, nursing will be over in charge of what nursing can and will do. Mm -hmm. Nursing supervises its own staffing. And nursing leaders are elected by the nurses. Medicine controls medicine. At the same time, there has to be an invigorated peer review process within medicine, uh, because we can't just have this go behind the door and shake hands and say everything's okay. Um, so you need this kind of, um, what I would say, invigorated peer review. Yeah. And you've, you've written, too, that uh,
0: the goals of this would be equitable access appropriate to community needs. Quality evidence-based care, equitable targeted evidence-based distribution of resources, equitable and positive outcomes, cost efficiency, and social accountability and a mandate for direct public reporting. So if we put, you're saying if we put the practitioners in charge of administration and each one leads their own, I don't know, wheelhouse, silo, niche, whatever we call it and they're interrelated, of course, because they all have to work together and that's where interdisciplinary comes in, then these outcomes are more likely because we're being less driven by profits and more driven by the values. Is yeah. that correct?
1: Yeah. And yeah, um, I think I think I would also say that all of these, and when I went down the list the other day with an actual person from a um, public utility company that I've talked to many before, but that was, you know, two decades ago, um, they, there's perfect agreement. These are the absolute goals of a public utility. Um, and these should, in my mind, be the goals of our healthcare system.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so the only model that addresses every one of these goals is this public utility model. Yeah. If, if you go down that list and look at that list of, of goals and think about our current healthcare system, it meets none of them. So, right. if that's true, why do we have this system? And about
0: 15 minutes ago, near the top of the show, you mentioned rights that access to clean water, access to electricity and power, which also means heat for your home, right? right. Um, those are seen by many, or we want them to all be seen as rights that everyone has a right to food, well, I'm adding food, food, clothing, and shelter, if you add those. And we also add in, you know, the things that make that shelter actually safe and actually keeps your food safe too, if you have power, except for example. So if we all agree, and I think I haven't, I don't think I've ever spoken with a nurse who wouldn't agree that, that healthcare is a right, that having high quality healthcare, I don't think anyone I've ever talked to has said it's not a right. Why then has healthcare gone in the other direction? <laughs> Why do we see it as a right, but then in actuality, boots on the ground, it doesn't appear to be one in this culture, in this society?
1: Well, I don't know if you can say it's, it's a right. The, the issue we're looking at is, I mean, I'm not going in here to rewrite the Constitution and say you have a right to health care. Oh, John. I know, I'm I'm sorry. Um, But these are are topics that have popped up in American history where we we can't quite make that all-out commitment to say this is a right because if we do that, then we have to fund it. But on the other hand, it's too important to our culture to be just a commodity. So all of these utilities are sort of in that same ballpark. And nobody wants to say you have a right to electricity, or you would be able to demand it no matter where you lived, even if you couldn't afford it. So we do draw lines on these um, services, uh, if if that sort of makes sense. Uh, And it's kind of a uniquely American thing because most of the other countries of the world, certainly the OECD countries, um, have determined that healthcare access to healthcare is a right. Mm-hmm. Where it's
0: universal, where for instance, my producer, uh, Rob Johnston lives in Ontario. And so he's in Canada where universal healthcare is a thing. And I have friends in Europe where when I try to explain to them what a copay is or what coinsurance means, um, or what a, what a premium or a, um, you know, out-of-pocket expense ceiling might be. They, they have no idea what I'm talking about.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, of course um, But, you know, at the same time, um, in a lot of these uh, comp- countries that have done these, <clears throat> I hate to use the word socialism because it's mm-hmm. demeaning, but um, that have these systems, they have to make other decisions. Uh, because it's basically being single payer financed through the government, which means tax money. So unless the U.S. wanted to see its tax money explode up and how much you're paying every year blow up, um, th- that option, that single payer option, is probably not going to be a good decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, in spite of what you know, Bernie Sanders says about, well, we'll, we'll just tax the rich people. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's that's probably not going to fly politically. Mm-hmm. Um, the other, it sounds good. Yeah, the it other sounds really good. Yeah, other kind of American caveat you have to understand is that um, you have to respect the federal and state divide in this country. So these are state-based regional systems. It doesn't mean they're under the you know control of the governor, where he controls where things go and. What services are provided, that's up to the uh, regional councils that are made up of practitioners. Right. But there, you still need to have some political input into that because we're not an enforcement agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would need state government to be able to help and back us up. I see.
0: Well, when we come back from the break, I want to talk more about nursing in terms of nurses' place in this transformational Process and You're going to like that. Oh, good. And how nurses can think about these things. And on this show, we've talked before about what people can do, but I'd like to maybe see if there are other actions or solutions we can discuss. And I also want to talk about your Declaration of Independence for Nursing, because I think that's also an important document. So we'll dig right back into that in the second half of the show. Does that sound good? Sounds good to me. All right. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. This episode of The Nurse Keith Show is sponsored by Soothing Sense. Nurses are busier than ever with increasing pressure to ensure high patient satisfaction rates while keeping risks low. Queez Ease by Soothing Sense was designed to do just that. Developed by a nurse anesthetist and delivered in an innovative, personalized inhaler system, Queese is a drug-free adjunct therapy that intercepts the nausea cycle when and as discomfort arises without the need for IVs, dosage requirements, or an MD order. With Queez Ease, nurses can feel empowered knowing they have another tool in their toolbox to achieve patient comfort, which is why it's used and loved in over 2,500 hospitals across the United States. Visit www.soothing-sense.com forward slash medical. That's soothing-sense.com forward slash medical to request a free sample kit or to find out more about queasies and the full soothing sense comfort range including formulas for anxiety congestion and fatigue i have a soothing sense sample kit here in my home and i can honestly tell you i totally love it and you can also follow them on instagram at soothing and i thank soothing sense for their generous support Speaking of generous support, right now, I'm asking 100 regular listeners of The Nurse Keith Show to please consider becoming a patron for just $2 a month. Producing over 350 episodes of the podcast has incurred and will continue to incur many costs, and I appreciate my patrons so very much. If you enjoy the show, you can always continue listening for free, but please consider becoming a patron for just $2 a month or more if you want to get some cool premiums and gifts and visit p-a-t-r-e-o-n that's patreon.com forward slash nursekeith to sign up and show some love for the nurse keith show also please consider signing up for my newsletter at nursekeith.com so that you can receive my bi-weekly message and finally if someone you know could benefit from career coaching with me consider referring them if they become a paying client You receive credit for an hour of coaching with me and there's no expiration date on that credit. So you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. And you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits. And I think that's an awesome deal. Those are my sincere asks of you, my friends. So now let's dig back into today's topic. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. Please remember the show notes are located at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 339. We're here again with friend of the pod, Dr. John Silver for his second appearance here on the show. And John, prior to the break, we were talking about the public utility model and the ways in which that could be enacted and the ways in which our current system doesn't work. And I wanted to just take a step back and say that you you began in healthcare in 1974 as a respiratory therapist around 1978.
1: Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. I, my first job was actually a security guard in a mm-hmm. hospital.
0: Oh, security guard, then respiratory therapist. and Orderly, ER tech, EKG tech, respiratory therapist. Lots of things. Okay. And then you got your ADN and you've worked your way all the way up to a... Public Intellectual PhD in Comparative Studies from Florida Atlantic University. What is a Public Intellectual PhD in Comparative Studies?
1: Well, this was a program there, at the time I went in, uh, it was the only one. Uh, It was brought over from Cambridge by uh, just a brilliant woman named Teresa Venner. And she established this at Florida Atlantic University. I was in the second cohort. And when I was decided that, I committed that, you know, I was going to try to get the PhD because I wanted to stand up on stages and actually, you know, have some respect when I talked, Mm -hmm. um, I was looking around and I thought, well, you know, there's a lot of brilliant nurses with PhDs. I met them. Um, there's a lot of public health people that have doctorates. And so I started looking at this program and the gist of the program was to take people who had expertise in their fields. Um, developed this kind of broad historical context of their worlds. Um, and then the mandate of this was to go into the public domain. That's why it's called a public utility PhD. I mean, a public utility. That's why it's called a public intellectual PhD, hmm. is that you were kind of obligated once you got this to not just write obscure articles for other PhDs, but to actually go into the public domain and communicate. Oh, that's where the public part comes in.
0: Okay. I wasn't quite sure what that meant. Okay. So it's, it's kind of related to the public utility model. It's just the model of education. Are you a public utility, John? No, I'm not. Definitely. You're not. not. Okay. All right. So you, you earned the PhD and you've been writing and speaking about specifically political issues as they relate to medicine and healthcare and nursing for a long time. And you You've presented nationally and internationally. What is your, what's your biggest vision and your biggest goal for all this work you've done all these years since you first entered healthcare in the 80s? What would you love to see happen?
1: Well, I I think there's um, a couple of different um, fronts on this. So the one thing I would love to see is to restore a vision and mission for nursing. Um, mm-hmm. I love this field. Uh, I, I read all the history. I, 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 you know, I, I have just nothing but absolute respect for the philosophy of nursing, the, the, the driving force being the other, the, the expertise being the delivery of health services to groups and people and communities. And um, that mission to me really aligned well with, for example, Lillian Wald from History. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of where I want to try to get nursing um, to be writ large. So Restoring the Mission and Vision. Uh, I wanted to free nursing from this tri-silo monstrosity we're living in. So I wrote the Declaration of Independence for Nursing. That's right, which
0: I have right here on my computer. And what what's the gist of that declaration? Well,
1: real quick before that, oh. um, I also wrote a book I published in 2013 to try to show nursing groups a model for how to become politically effective in in state or federal government um, of course all I did was get called a communist and a traitor to my profession for doing that but the gist of it was to test this model out and say look here's here's a way you can move forward politically if you're a, a nursing group all right sorry about the declaration so you don't want you don't want to know about my mission and vision oh yes I do yeah I
0: thought the declaration was part of that. And will it is? Yeah.
1: But um, I thought you go for it. All right. Well, I thought it was really important that because it kind of restores a common purpose to us. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're kind of a disparate group. We got a lot of people that just want a job and get paid, and that's all they want to do about it. Um, We have other people that are really self sacrificing and, and don't, you know, want some money, but they're not really, you know, willing to get up and walk a picket line or something. So restoring that kind of unified vision. So I I had the vision of nursing is to lead an integrated, holistic wellness centered healthcare system that addresses the needs of all our communities. And then I put our mission is to become the independent socially active force America needs to achieve that vision. So that was my mission and vision for nursing. Of course, Mm -hmm. we'll have to write a new one if we ever do this.
0: Well, that's very true. (laughs) But. In in terms of I, I just want to look at this declaration of independence for nursing. What is the independence part for you for nurses? I know we talked in the first half about nurses be having control of and leading their own silo, so to speak, and not having to be controlled by corporate forces in black suits. Like you said, what are the other aspects of what independence means for nurses?
1: Well, I, I think, um, the similar, the reason I chose the model of, you know, uh, the declaration of independence of the U S was that in our declaration, we were revolting against taxation without representation. And I think one of the big problems nursing has is a lack of representation. Um, for what we want to do for for nursing, um, we we need to as it says in the preamble. It says um, you know when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one profession to dissolve the bands which connected them with another, um, you need to declare the causes that impel them to that separation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think we've shown to the United States that um, the profession of nursing has earned the trust and respect of our countrymen. Um, I think our profession has demonstrated for over 100 years that we're dedicated to the prevention of disease, the treatment of disease with other professionals, and the quality and humanity of healthcare for our patients, our communities, our states, and the nation. And um, when you go down as for the rationales for while we're doing this, I have a whole bunch of whereas statements in there.
0: Um, you do to read some of those? Because these are good. These are really powerful and important.
1: All right. So- I say, whereas healthcare in the United States has evolved into a disease-focused and profit-centered endeavor at the expense of prevention and social health and the exclusion of many geographical regions and populations. Whereas this dysfunctional system has allowed serious healthcare risks to continue, whether environmental, preventable, or practice-related and placed an undue financial burden on states, counties, cities, companies, corporations, individuals, and the federal government. Whereas hospital administrations have denigrated and constrained the profession of nursing for over a century from controlling their professional practice environments by being the sole discretionary force in determining institutional nursing leadership and relegated safe practice decisions to financial officers. Uh, whereas the profession of medicine has spent an enormous amount of money and effort over the last 70 years to block the natural progression of training and thus practice capabilities of nursing professionals to help meet the healthcare demands of our country. Um, I take on the ANA, I'm sorry. I say, whereas the American Nursing Association has been unable or unwilling to protect the profession from abuse and yet pretends to speak politically for all nurses when they only represent 4 or 5%. I take on nursing leadership, whereas nursing leadership organizations are allied with the American Hospital Association, long known to be opposed to safety and safe practice initiations for nurses and thus patient care. So that's sort of what I do. I go down the list and I talk about the situation that nursing has confronted for mm-hmm. the last decade or over the last century to lay out a just cause for why we're putting this forward.
0: Right. And the next one you say, whereas the profession of medicine has tolerated and participated in an abusive facility environment and military subjugation of the profession of nursing for a century. That's interesting.
1: I'm willing to hear any arguments against that. I can't
0: think of any myself.
1: How many doctors have been walking around and seen nurses that have had 12 patients and they start screaming at you because you were late getting a med or something to a patient or you missed a prep. Mm-hmm. There's never been, in my knowledge, groups of physicians who at that time had political power going into that CEO's office and demanding that they improve nurse-patient ratios so that they, their patients can get quality care. Mm-hmm. The only thing they care about is their patients. hmm
0: right and then you go on to whereas the political establishment has responded to the increasing crisis of healthcare and the dysfunction of the system by only considering the interest of those who finance them and long relegated nursing to a non-entity when major healthcare decisions
1: are made yeah we're not sitting at the tables as equal partners mm-hmm. nobody nobody goes oh my god we have this healthcare problem quick somebody go talk to nursing mhm it doesn't happen
0: and what's that saying? If you're not on, that, if you don't have a seat at the table, right? right. You're you're on. The, you end up on the menu, and yes. that's how many nurses feel, isn't it? Yes. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Right. Well, Why don't you
0: read the last whereas? Because there's there's about five or six more, and I think these are all really important.
1: The last one?
0: No, the last. There's about six more. Why don't you read uh, them? One, two, three,
1: four, five, six. All right. Says. Whereas too many Americans lose their wealth, face bankruptcy, or lose their livelihoods and futures related to acute, chronic, and long-term health care costs or health care conditions. Whereas health outcomes in the United States are a global embarrassment in too many categories and for too many people. Whereas there is a lack of equitable access appropriate to community needs and a lack of equitable, targeted, evidence-based distribution of health care resources. Whereas there is a lack of social accountability by current systems to the communities they do serve and a blind eye to the communities they don't. Whereas nursing leadership has failed to heed the call for critical reflexivity regarding the empowerment of nursing as a political force. And whereas nursing has lost its philosophical bearing in healthcare, and lost touch with its socially active roots and practice due to the systemic design.
0: Hmm. So socially active roots. So we think of Florence Nightingale, we think of Lillian Wald, and that was the Henry Street settlement, right, in New York?
1: Yes, clearly. Sort
0: of the beginning of public health nursing in in general, wasn't it? Right, and frontier
1: nursing. I mean, these frontier nursing. Yeah. Nurses were amazing. They were riding burros into the glens in West Virginia. They were riding bicycles out into these desert communities in Arizona. They were climbing over rooftops to get to immigrant populations in New York City. Mm-hmm. Where is that nursing gone? Mhm.
0: Yeah, there are there are some of pockets of that where people are able to practice such, like my friend uh, Joy Fernandez de Narayan, who was on the show some months ago uh, talking about the street medicine she does in, in inner city Atlanta through Mercy Cares. So there's there are people out there doing that, but they are outliers these days. And most nurses I talk to are caught up in the churn of the system and Something you said in the first half talking about how nurses are just sort of out there on the front lines just doing what has to be done and they'll just throw themselves into the the trenches basically. And I often use the term cannon fodder, that nurses are the cannon fodder because they know, they being the powers that be in the system, know that there are always nurses who will throw themselves on the grenade more or less for the patient right they'll they'll there's so many different metaphors we could use right now and I don't have to I don't have to bore the audience with multiple mixed metaphors as I often do so what is it then that if we want a public health utility model well we meaning the collective we but we actually have to understand what it is and then it actually has to be legislated it does sound like a really tough road to hoe. And I know you're talking to some people or start, and you're getting access to people within the government so that you can have these conversations. When you speak to, let's say, um, let's say for instance, a, a representative from California, a member of Congress or the state legislature, what kind of response do you get? How do they react to this notion? of a public utility model for healthcare, What do they say to you?
1: Well, I, I think um, when we talk about the benefits, uh, I think they're all in favor of the benefits where they get kind of mired down as um, a lot of people don't understand the public utility model. In fact, I just spoke with one representative with an actual expert in public utility service the other day. Um, and so if you can clarify that concept of what a public utility means, the benefits to it. And then they're curious about the legislative process because a lot of people think of healthcare as this centuries-old institution which can't be tampered with because it's, you know, set in stone. Nothing can be further from the truth. Our kind of current healthcare system, if you want to call it that, kind of started in the 50s with Um, Eisenhower kind of providing funds so that people could build hospitals across the country in different types of communities. This was still a time when doctors made house calls. Mm, Remember that? (laughs) But, you know, then we had all this technology pushed in, the diagnostic stuff. We had intensive care units come out. And medicine kind of transitioned at that point and started making everybody come to them Mm -hmm. um, instead of going to, you know, evaluate the conditions they were living in or the the risks to that asthma child in the home or, or whatever it was.
0: Yeah. Air quality, water quality, et cetera.
1: Yeah, and then specialists started evolving and the specialists found out they could make, you know, boatload of money. So I remember one doctor back in uh, 70, I don't know, 72, 73, no, 74, I guess. He was wearing a shirt that said, I'm so rich. <laughs> and cardiologist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they started, they went from driving Buicks to driving Porsches. Um, and they just kind of let this system go crazy um, because they were basically in control for, you know, 40, 50 years. They had the opportunity to set this system up. Mm-hmm. They were the kind of the sole experts at that point. And then it became more of a business stuff. And a lot of docs sold the hospitals they owned. They They sold out to make, you know, specialize, get more money, all of that. Then the corporate system saw how much money was in this and stepped in, and since the you know late 70s 80s, it's just been this accelerating corporate model. Yeah. So it's not like the you know it's not like we're we're going back and ripping out an amendment from the Constitution. This is a fairly newly evolved system. So the idea legislatively is actually not that difficult. Um, you rewrite the administrative structure of healthcare facilities. This is what we did with the electrical companies back in the thirties. That's right. And that kind of solves that problem. Mm -hmm. You want to run a healthcare facility, this is the structure you have to have in place to do it.
0: Yeah. And one of the issues I see is something you mentioned during the first half, I think, is that there are a lot of nurses out there who, like any other citizens, they want to go to work. They want to do their work well they want to get their paycheck go home to their families and these days in the 21st century life feels very complex we have the covid-19 pandemic which has made life even more complex and a little bit you know not a little bit it's made it scary and existentially challenging we could say on on many levels so i know a lot of the nursing associations like the 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 New Mexico Nurses Association here, where I'm on the board, we're very politically active and really dig deep into the political process. And a certain small smattering of nurses get involved in that legislative process, but it's a very small percentage, even within you know our community, our state. So in order to, to get the, I guess you would say the, the enough people this sort of this mass to critical mass of people to clamor for this how do we how do we get nurses and others to actually do so because everyone seems so focused on their own lives for good reason because of the complexities of life these days so if legislators don't hear the message and we've talked here on this show before with Kim Evans and Kathleen Bartholomew and Leanne Meyer and Melissa Cortez. There are other members of your um, Nurses Transforming Healthcare group. And others have also talked on the show about writing your legislators and talking to them. And what else can we actually do in order to make this sort of change happen? Because we all know it needs to happen, but we need, we need critical mass to actually create the change.
1: Correct. And I'm not I'm not asking nurses to do anything. Like I said, I'm not okay. asking you to go out and pick it. I'm not asking you to write legislators. I'm not. If we could get in the nurses transforming healthcare, if we could get just 10% of the nurses to join us, we'd be the largest nursing organization in the world. We'd be invited to we'd be invited to a chair at the International Council of Nurses. We'd have enough, you know, and if they donate, and I'm not talking about $1,000, if they just gave us 10 bucks, we'd have enough money that we'd be able to start a national media campaign to educate the public. Right. And you have to hit the public. You have to educate the public. We need public support for this. Yeah, you
0: do. Because nurses are citizens, but we need a lot of other citizens to also clamor for it. So when you say joining Nurses Transforming Healthcare, what does
1: that mean? Yeah, go to our website, nursestransforminghealthcare.org You uh, mm-hmm. join um, and you give a couple of bucks. Okay.
0: And it doesn't mean you have to write your legislators or nope. take your legislator to lunch or make phone calls and send emails and all that nope. sort of stuff.
1: But if you want to help... Mm-hmm. We're an organization that would that you'd have some credence when you go out there talking. Not that you don't already have credence because you're a registered you're, you're a, a nurse. nurse, right? But it would really give us an oomph credence of you know saying Well, you know the group that I am speaking for uh, represents four hundred thousand registered nurses.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And mean, I'm assuming
0: the- that Nurses Transforming Healthcare, the organization itself at Nurses Transforming Healthcare org, that If someone said, you know, I really want to talk to my governor or I want to talk to my legislator, but I don't know what to say, will you educate me so that I can actually sound coherent and cogent and say the things that I know I think, but I'm not quite sure how to put it into words that a legislator would connect with? Sure. Do you help people understand it so that they can actually talk about it?
1: We're more than happy to. We're, st- we're still developing this website because, I mean, it's just the five of us trying to fund all this by ourselves, right? Um, which is difficult. Um, but we do have a couple of videos you can watch there to talk to, that talks about the public utility model. If you uh, do your comment thing and you say, you know, hey, can you send me some more information on that? We'll be happy to do that. hmm
0: And this is why I've had all of you on the show. This is your second appearance and because I want people to understand what this is and keep hearing about it. And are you all active anywhere on social media where people might hear
1: about you as well? Well, I understand that I'm old. I I got my first computer in 1997. (laughs) Um, I'm pretty much just a LinkedIn kind of guy. Okay. Well, that's Uh, fine. But Melissa, our uh, youngest member. Melissa
0: and, Cortez. Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: She's She's phenomenal. Um, so she's on the media stuff. And, uh, but, you know, you need more than just one person doing this. You need to be able to get people in that can uh, amplify your media presence. that can and, and that's kind of another problem we have is that nurses, like the RNs working on floors of hospitals and stuff, are mm-hmm. a pretty disparate group. And a lot of them exist just in their Facebook worlds with their friends and family, um, mm-hmm. and they're not really on major media sources. And that's true. That's so, true. So when uh, we you said to do TikToks, we intend to do all of this stuff.
0: Yeah, when we can. It all takes time and money and resources and energy and people. Right. So many hands make make less work for each individual. But this is an important organization, Nurses Transforming Healthcare, and I encourage listeners to go to nursestransforminghealthcare.org to learn more. And in the show notes, I hope to have at least portion of the Declaration of Independence for Nursing and also links to the episodes with Kathleen Bartholomew, Kim Evans, and the more recent one with Leanne Meyer and Melissa Cortez, who appeared together just a couple episodes ago. So we'll have links to those and also to your first appearance, which was, I think, in 2020, here on the show when you first came, came on it after you and I first connected, I think on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So you're John, you consider yourself a, and you're considered by others, a political philosopher and a healthcare system design expert. And that, that says a lot about how you approach healthcare, right? That you're coming from this very um, you're looking at it from a philosophical perspective, but it also has to get, Filtered through politics because healthcare is, is very political, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And we have to disentangle all of that in order to, to come up with new, a new structure, don't we?
1: Well, and, and I want people to understand, I, I'm not somebody that came out, worked for two, you know, a year as a nurse, became a diabetic educator, and then went into an ivory tower and hit out until 2005. Mm-hmm. I was a active full-time emergency room nurse. Yeah. You've been in the trenches yourself. Yeah. For, you know, 21 years. Yeah. And then another you know decade before that too.
0: Yeah. So you had your, your hands and boots in the muck and mire,
1: let's say. Remember what Mark Twain said, right? That he hoped his schooling didn't interfere with his education.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's right. He also said rumors of my demise are highly <laughs> exaggerated, right? Something like that. Right.
1: Yeah. So this was more of an evolutionary process than a, You know, I just didn't wake up one morning at two in the morning and go, ooh, public utility. Mm -hmm. It was a really, I thought, um, pretty intensely deductive logic um, process uh, that came up with this model. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, John, I really... Thank you for all the thought you've put into this and all the work and all the thought and work you'll be putting in in the future. So, I want to thank you in advance. And I hope a few people will take you up on visiting the website and maybe even donating some money and getting involved and maybe pitching in some and seeing how they can actually help. Boots on the ground. That would be really great.
1: Thanks. I want to assure all your listeners. Every penny that's donated is not going to us. It's going to this process where none of us are in this to to make a profit. Um, We are all fully committed to this mission of repairing healthcare.
0: That's great. I believe repairing
1: healthcare, repairing nursing.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for doing that good work, and let's let's keep amplifying the message and hope as many people connect with this as possible.
1: Thanks, and as always, it's a pleasure, Keith. Well,
0: there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode and please go to the show notes at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 339. And I want you to head over to nursestransforminghealthcare.org and consider joining and making a donation to the organization. And I'm gonna make an offer right now that John doesn't even know about. If four people will each donate $50 each to Nurses Transforming Healthcare, you can have an hour of coaching with me as my gift for you donating to the organization. So four people, please donate $50 to NursesTransformingHealthcare.org and you can have an hour of coaching with me. And again, please consider becoming a patron of the podcast over at patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith. I'm asking you to just donate $2 a month to the Nurse Keith Show for a year to help me out in terms of promoting and amplifying this show so that more people learn about what we have here at the Nurse Keith Show. The Nurse Keith Show is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com, one of the largest, fastest growing collections of authoritative, high quality podcasts about healthcare and medicine anywhere on the internet. The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting and Mark Cappiespeason is our stalwart social media ringmaster be well dig deep seek joy keep in touch this is nurse keith saying adios till next time from beautiful santa fe new mexico and friend of the pod and my friend dr john silver bidding you arrivederci from south florida south florida thank you john thanks to everyone for listening and we will catch you on the flip side